53 is God is either everything or he's nothing at all. 133 says, when asked, God wants you to be happy, joyous, and free. What's your choice to be? So I do that through the steps, through the fellowship, and I surround myself with people of like mind that are trying just to be a better person every day. I don't force anybody to grow. That comes to them. But it's all for me about God. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Well, hello, ladies and gents. That was the voice. The one that you heard at the beginning of this episode today, that was the voice of Mr. Bob C. And you are going to hear much more from him in just a moment. But first things first, this episode... The one that you have your little bitty ears tuned into right now. I don't know. You could have big ears. I don't know. Whatever size ears you happen to have, this particular episode is brought to you by Faith and Jackie and Matthew. You know what they did? Faith and Jackie and Matthew, they went to our website, soberspeak.com. They clicked on the donate tab, little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution thank you so much so much faith and jackie and matthew for your generosity this episode is for you all right i ladies and gentlemen will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings and i am truly honored and privileged to be serving all of you listening in. All right. So my little chickadees, let me, you know, that little chickadees. Okay. Let me think about that. That comes from, I think that is from like the 1930s, 1940s. That was a gentleman named, what was his name? W.C. Fields. Now why he said, hello, my little chickadees. I'm not real sure. In fact, I don't really even know what a chickadee is could be I'm it's an animal could be a bird not really sure but he said hello my little chickadees and uh I, I'm that's just what I'm recalling right now and you know and now I'm really going off the reservation here uh in that now I'm thinking about there was a famous movie that he did and, and it kind of relates to us. Uh, when I say us, I'm talking about the alcoholics who are listening in because 
W.C. Fields was not known for his um, uh, sensical um, decisions. Uh, he was uh, he was a little out there in terms of his partying. I'll put it that way. And there's one scene from a movie, if I'm recalling this correct, where somebody came into a room. He's sitting there and he has opened a Bible and they were very uh, surprised to see Mr. W.C. Fields reading through a Bible in this particular movie. And so they said to themselves, or they said to him, they said, "Um, what are you doing there? And uh, he opened it up and he looked down at the Bible and he said, loopholes, my friends, looking for loopholes. And I can very much relate to that. Uh, I was looking for loopholes in spirituality and uh, religion or whatever you want to call it all my life. Uh, And uh, so anyway, I'm sorry I went off the reservation there. Okay. So I haven't mentioned this to you in a little while, but if you want to subscribe to the podcast and you're not really sure how to do it, my folks, you can text the word SOBER, S-O-B-E-R, to 31996. Text the word SOBER to 31996, and you will receive a link to both a Google Podcast and Apple Podcast. Now, Apple Podcast is formerly known as iTunes. So you'll receive also an option to add your name to our, our email list if you would like to do that. I usually send out a newsletter about once a month or so. With It has a summary of the episodes from the past month, along with some announcements like, you know, maybe how to access the Facebook page, some live events we have com- coming up and things like that. So once again, you can text the word, Sober, S-O-B-E-R, 231996. Uh, I've noticed that recently I have people come up, coming up to me all the time, either in person at meetings or at conferences, and, and they say, you know, I, I've heard about your podcast. Uh, I don't know a lot about podcasts. I'm not sure how to subscribe to it. So um, uh, this is another thing you can keep in mind, that we are not only available on the aforementioned I just like to say that word, aforementioned, Apple Podcast and Google Podcast, but we are also available on Spotify, TuneIn, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, whatever your favorite podcast player is, we will be available there. If you find one we're not on, will you please let me know? But I am pretty darn sure we are on every podcast player available out there. You can even, believe it or not, folks, you can even go to your Amazon device, whether it's an Echo or whatever it is. And by the way, I can't say the word here real loud in our house because we have one of those devices and it'll go off. But if you just say, Alexa, they say that word that starts with an A real loud and say, play Sober Speak podcast. It should fire right up for you. All right. So if you're not in the secret Facebook group, this is another thing I have people asking me on a consistent basis, and they say that that secret Facebook group thing here is it a is it a money maker for you? No, it's not a money maker. It is completely free. Uh, I'll never put anything behind a paywall that uh, I don't have to. Uh, in other words. Um, you could just come on in, uh, and be with us. And there are tons of like-minded friends of Bill W, Al-Anon and other 12 step groups. All you need to do is send me your email that is associated with your 
Facebook account, and I can send you that invite. Follow me on Instagram. If you are not the Instagram, I am at, oh gosh, I go through this every week, at, at, how do you say this? Uh, my handle is at sober speak, all one word. Handle, that's not even a word, is it? That's like from CBs back in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> Or whatever, and, and oh, I think it was called a wasn't that CBs right? The things that you turned into radios on when you were driving down the highway, or whatever the case would be. But anyway, uh, that is where I am located on Instagram, and I so 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 now I'm getting on to Mr. Bob C. I have had many people with long term sobriety on our show. But this one, ladies and gents, takes the cake. Bob C. is 56 years sober. He actually met Bill Wilson. It's hard to cover what he's been through in 56 years, but we did our best within, what, 45 minutes or something like that. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen... Please welcome Mr. Bob C., and we will have some listener feedback at the end of this episode with Bob. Okay, everybody, so we are sitting here today with my friend, Mr. Bob C. So, Bob, before we start, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and give your sobriety date if you wish, please, sir. Thank you. My name is Bob C. I'm a grateful alcoholic. I've been sober one day at a time since December the 7th, 1962. All right, so go ahead and say your sobriety date one more time for people just so they can hear that, okay? Sobriety date, December the 7th, 1962. And my guess is that a lot of people that are going to be listening to this particular podcast today, to this episode, are going to say, I wasn't even born when you got sober. Uh, so that is absolutely fantastic, Bob, by the grace of God. That is what, 56 years? Is that right, folks? Yes, and you're absolutely right. I get that 99.9% of the time. I wasn't even born. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, I, you know, I am fortunate that I get to go to meetings with Bob here in this area where I live in the North Texas area. But, and I know he goes out to lots of conferences as well, but there are a lot of people who don't get to conferences or they don't live in the North Texas area. And that's why I wanted to have you in here today, Bob. So, so people that uh, are not fortunate enough to get to hear you speak in meetings, uh, they can hear bits and pieces of your story. We can't cover all 56 years every day, right? You got that. <laughs> but we can cover uh, a good portion of it. So let's go ahead and start, if you will, with when you came in, right? Let's just talk about, I guess what I would call like like the differences between Alcoholics Anonymous in 1962 when you came in and how they are today. I'm sure some things are the same, but I'm sure many things are different. Okay, I would like to start that by saying in 1962 when I came in, you 
had to call the office in order to get there. And when I got to the office, they qualified you to see if you were worthy of being a member. Really? Yes. And you couldn't go to the meetings because you didn't know where they were. They were not published anywhere or any book or anything. So members of Alcoholics Anonymous would pick you up and take you. And what happened in this particular case, the man that sort of talked to me when I was in the office said, I'm your sponsor. That was on December the 7th, 1962, and I went to his 90th birthday in Canada in October, and he had 58 years in January, and I had 56 in December. So is he still your sponsor? Yes. Really? Yes. So he has been your sponsor for 58 or, or 56 years. Yes. And he was a paint salesman when I came into AA. And by the time I did my fourth and fifth step, he was a Catholic priest. <laughs> well, he was right on. <laughs> so right you'll on see time. that speed was not my function. <laughs> okay, so let's go back here a little bit. You said they, well, first of all, how did you find the office? Well, that is really something because I had just come out of Skid Row and, uh, and this is in Canada, right? In Canada. And uh, I got back uh, to my home and I was, guess I was going to leave my home because I was walking down the street and a voice said to me, call AA. And that's how I got to AA. And they said, are you near the office? And I said, I don't know anything about you. And they said, well, we're at uh, Young and Dundas. I said, oh, that's my favorite bar. <laughs> and this building was across the street, and it was easy to get to for me. And I was terrified. And so you said they would, quote, qualify you. I it, mean, what kind of questions did they ask? Well, they would go up. You go upstairs, and they had about 12 people in the office. And I was designated to this guy today, who's my sponsor. And he would say, do you think you're an alcoholic? And I said in profanity, yes. Uh, and I'm confused, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't think there's any hope for me. And he said, there's always hope. And all the people in this building are members of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then he went to ask me about my story, and he said, you're an alcoholic. Wow. Okay, so, and you know, and this is interesting, uh, but I've been recently reading some mm, uh, history about the anonymity within Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And they basically said that back in the beginning, they were a, kind of a secret society. They were very hard to find. And that was kind of not good news because how are the alcoholics going to find them? And so that's when they took it to as long as you're not at the level of press, radio, and films, you can break your anonymity anywhere. So, all right. So you're, you're Canadian. Mm -hmm. You're from, uh, Toronto. Toronto. Mm -hmm. So so you got into this first meeting. Take me from there. Well, I went with him and he said, I'm going to take you home. And I said, no, you're not. Uh, I said, I'm going downstairs and call my wife from a payphone and tell her where I am. And so I did that. And my wife said to me, leave those nice people alone, walk out onto Young Street and get hit by a bus. <laughs> Okay, so. so I went back upstairs and thought maybe he might get me back into my house. <laughs> All right. We got, 
<laughs> so it looked like there was a little bit of trouble at home. Had been I hadn't been home for three days. Gotcha. Uh, just sort of missed the the street. Uh, <laughs> but however, he drove me home. He speaks about eighty words a second, and he sat down with my wife, and my wife said, "There's no hope for him." And then he said, finally, would you like to go to a meeting? And I thought, ah, I'll tell him I want to go to the meeting. I'll go back to bed, and he'll never see me again. And God had other plans. He said, great, there's one in 15 minutes. And I was hauled off to my first meeting, and this man drove me for the next three years to all eight meetings. Wow. Until I got a car, and he said, now it's your turn. I went in there. There were all smoker meetings, so I went downstairs. I don't smoke. Little guy hit me in the chest. I weighed about 265, and I don't like little people hitting me in the chest. (laughs) And he said with a gravelly voice, do you want a coffee? And I said, what did he say? Do you want coffee? Do you want a coffee? And I said, oh, I guess. And so he walked me over there, and this voice said, do you want cream in your coffee? And I said, yes, please. And that was a woman. (laughs) And uh, we went and we went upstairs and we had a meeting for about an hour, an hour and a half. They had a speaker. Speaker talked about a little bit what it was like, what happened. And then he would stop in the middle of it. And he said, I'm going to talk about the steps as they were written by the first 100 people. And for the next three years, I heard that same pitch to every meeting that I went to. The steps as they were written for the first hundred people. Can Mm -hmm. you talk about that a little? Yes. So then he would really go right into it and he'd talk from one to 12. And that might take 25 minutes or 45 minutes. Nobody really cared. And that's how I got to know it because my sponsor never ever told me that I had to do the steps. He said, that will come when you have the desire to do the steps. And it was a long time coming. But I knew the steps pretty well because all the meetings, all eight, were speaker meetings. They were all speaker meetings. And uh, then we had conferences, and the conferences at that particular time would say the same thing. I'm going to now stop and talk about the 12 steps. And so the fellowship was, he told a little bit about what it was like, what happened, and then boom, into the steps, and there was no fooling around. I heard you mention before in meetings about a kind of an, an abbreviated version of the steps that are, are kind of like important to you. Mm-hmm. Do you do you, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Well, you want to go over those real quick? If I can, I'd love to. Um do you want me to read those? Books? Yes. Would you yeah, do that no for problem. me? Fine. I will do those. I'm I'd love more it. than happy. 12 steps simplified. Number one, alcohol will kill me. Two, there is a higher power that wants me to live. Three, do I want to live or die? And if die, stop here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number four, write down how I got to where I am. Number five, tell another person all about me and let God listen. Number six, want to change? Number seven, ask a power greater than me to help me change. Number eight, write down who I've hurt. Number nine, 
fix what I can without hurting anyone. Number 10, accept that I'm human and will screw up. Fix it immediately. Number 11, ask God to show me how to live. And number 12, keep doing steps one through 11 and pass it on. And that's how we worked on the steps in those days. And they, like I said, it was early AA. And I think it's important at that point to tell you the name of the group that he took me to and told me this is the group I'm going to join. It was called the Pine Hills Group of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was named after a cemetery. And their motto was, if we can't save you, we'll bury you. <laughs> it goes along with the steps of the early days. They were really regimented about it, and they were really sincere about it, but you had to ask them that you wanted to do them because they would not move forward. They allowed you to make all the mistakes that you could possibly make, and they expected you to beg that you wanted to do the steps. And as I told you before, my sponsor was a paint salesman, and by the time I did my steps, he was a Catholic priest. <laughs> so it should tell you how long it took, but it's been the only thing that has given me a life, not only saved my life, but has given me a life from the age of 25, now 82, one day at a time. Wow. Okay, so I know that uh, you have referenced in meetings before, meeting Mr. Bill Wilson. Yes, I did. I had the privilege. I didn't really want the privilege, but I did. I was at the International Conference in Toronto, where I lived, in 1965, and our group was sponsoring Bill, which means they looked after Bill. And so they took him to dinner, and because I was the new person, they took me along, and they sat me next to Bill, and I sat on the left-hand side of Bill. And uh, his conversation with me was short and brief. He just said, we need young people like you. I hope you stay sober one day at a time because it'll give you the greatest life that you'll ever know. And he had a drawl, so it took him like five minutes to say all that. And uh, then when we got up and we went to the conference, we were up in the conference room and he was speaking, and that's when he gave us a responsibility prayer. When anyone, anywhere, reaches out for help, I want the hand of AA always to be there. And for that, I am responsible. And I've carried that prayer with me one day at a time for 56 years. You know, Bob, that there are... We're getting to the point now in history that the people who have actually met or talked to uh, in person, Mr. Bill Wilson... Uh, are th those numbers are thinning out rapidly, as you know. Mm -hmm. Do you meet many people with 50 plus years sobriety? I know a few here in Dallas, but not too many. But I go to every international conference, and the last one was in Atlanta, and there was uh, 70 flags that means 70 countries were represented and we sit down in the pit and everybody sits up above and looks down and says i hope they die soon because we'll all move up one <laughs> and uh there was 269 people with over 50 years and they picked about eight of them to speak and the one with 69 years uh was the one that they picked to speak now, in this last five years, I've known a number of them, and the majority of them are dying off. There is not too many, but there's a, 
uh, quite a few now coming up to 50 years. I live in Dallas, and there's a few with 50 years, I think. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. But uh, I go to the Gathering of the Eagles, whatever they say, and I've won the oldest. If that's a win, I've been the oldest there for a number of years. So explain to people what the Gathering of the Eagles the is. The Gathering of the Eagles is an annual conference that we have here, and it was started by Circe, who was one of Bill's closest friends and knew Bill very, very well. And he used to have a birthday party in the early days. And when I came down here, he found out that I had 30 years, and that was a long time. And so he hooked me up, and he told me what I had to do and how I had to do it. And so he told me to come to his birthday party, and I've been going to his birthday party ever since. Wow. And uh, he always had the most sobriety, except one year a guy came in from Florida, and he had 51 years at that time, and Cersei just turned 50, and Cersei stood up and told him he couldn't come back. <laughs> <laughs> we guard our sobriety. <laughs> It'd be nice if we could get a pension plan going for Wouldn't these it? long sobriety days. <laughs> Wouldn't <so>. it? <laughs> All right, so let me go ahead and do a little pause here. I'm going to do a little announcement, and then we'll get back. So uh, we will be continuing our conversation with Mr. Bob C. in just a moment. Uh, just a reminder, you are listening to Soberspeak. You can find us on the web at www.soberspeak.com. Uh, you can also find the donate button on our website if you wish to use it, if and only if the Spirit moves you to do such. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the Listener, SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Mr. Bob C. All right, so Bob C., we've talked a lot about kind of some of the history of AA, but let's just get into your, your personal story a little bit. So uh, talk to me a little bit about where you grew up, your childhood, things of that nature, kind of what got you into Alcoholics Anonymous. Obviously, heavy drinking was part of that. <laughs> well, I was born in Toronto in February the 9th, 1937, and that's where I grew up until I was in about uh, grade seven. I wasn't a very good student. I was kind of a dreamer. Uh, I fooled around a lot, and uh, my father's a very brilliant man, and uh, he was very good in business. We had about five companies, and he, uh, when I got into probably about grade eight, he bought a couple of companies in Windsor, Ontario with a partner, and he moved up there to look after them because they were doing big business with Detroit at that time, which was the Ford Motor Company, General's. General Motors, he had all of them. He did all the printing for them. So I went to school there, and uh, I went. we lived in Riverside, which was a very influential town, but uh, I acted out, so they sentenced me or took me to Assumption College, which was a bo Catholic boys' school. What do they call Assumption College? Yeah, Assumption College. Do they assume you're going to do well or something like that? No, it was one where they took care of people that weren't doing well. Gotcha. But they had a lot of people that were doing well, actually, a lot of great students. But I wasn't one of them. And my friend Tommy Turner, whose father was very, very wealthy, we both went there. 
the first day there, they put us up on the third floor and we were laughing and having a good time and saying, we're not staying here. And Tommy said, let's go out the window. It was a whole bunch of climbing bushes on the outside. And so we started climbing down and climbing down the bushes was fun. We were laughing and having a good time until we got about four feet off the ground and we heard a cough. And there was three priests there waiting for us. Uh-oh. They said, son, everybody tries this. <laughs> the stupid ones, particularly. <laughs> and so one of them left and he was heading for the back door. And so we started to head for the back door. And he said, no, you climb down with the bushes. You're going back up on the bushes. Uh-huh. And uh, what happened is two tough guys were crying and praying and hoping we could get to the window ledge. (laughs) We did, but I wasn't a very good student. So at grade 10, my uncle, who was a judge and my father, sentenced me to the Canadian Navy. The Army and the Air Force were three years. The Navy was five years. They served alcohol on the ship. I loved it. I stayed drunk for most of the time. I ate mushroom from 137 to 265, played football, little hockey, and I drank all the time. We were served rum every day at noon. I've never smoked a cigarette, so I sold my cigarettes for rum. And uh, the net result, I got in a lot of fights, and I went to military prison for a year. And when I came out of there, I was crazy, and they took me to an insane asylum that was built in 1865, and I was there for about six months, and I came back out on the street, and I was walking down the street, and this voice said to me, call AA, and that was the start of my journey. I was not allowed home. Uh, I went to Skid Row, and my wife and my mother-in-law came looking for me. I mean, they were looking for my, sorry, my father-in-law, and they found me, and I went home, and I joined AA, and my father-in-law died in Skid Row. Wow. And that started my journey one day at a time. My sponsor then took me to a group called the Pine Hills Group, which was named after a cemetery. And their motto was, if we can't save you, we'll bury you. (laughs) And we bury a lot of people. But the journey has been phenomenal. So it sounds like you were married when you got in. Yes. Right? Uh, Did you have any children at that time? Yes, I had two sons. Uh, One of them now is 60, and the other one is 61. And... uh, they didn't do well. My one was sentenced to the army, and he did okay in the army. And the other one uh, followed a group of people called the Hells Angels, and he was a member of their group for about 32 years. And uh, he has a teardrop over his eye. And if anybody knows anything about the Hells Angels, he was the first lieutenant to the to the chief. And if the chief said he didn't want to see anyone around. Bobby's job was to take care of it. And he went to prison for 27 years. How's he doing now? He came out. He's fantastic. He's been going to AA on and off for a long period of his life. He went. He joined the group that I belong to. He's turned his life around. He's happy. He's joyous. He has good friends. He has a job. As a matter of fact, he has his own company. The other one, Kevin, the oldest one, went into the Army, went to military prison, and he still is an alcoholic, and uh, he lost his children and his wife. And as a matter of fact, I have never seen our, our great-granddaughter because they moved to Germany. 
So he didn't turn out well. Bobby's turned out well. But you know what? I believe God has a perfect plan for everybody, and not everybody's going to make AA. And I'm sorry to hear that when I hear that, that they're not. Yeah. I believe that if you're sober today, we're all tied for first place, and it's only time plus pain that equals change. And if you get enough pain, you're either going to walk across the room and ask for help, or you're going to go out and scout for us. Either way, we win because I've never seen a scout come back with less than five arrows in their butt, and not one has told me in 56 years that they had a good time. Yeah. So... 56 years is a long time to cover in just a few minutes on a mm -hmm. podcast, right? Sure it is. But take me through some of the, I guess, trials, tribulations, maybe some of the high spots. You just kind of walk through that 56 years and, and tell me what kind of leaps out to you, Bob. Well, that's interesting because, of course, I was 25 years old and I was unemployable. And I'll let you know, my first job was a truck driver's helper at 90 cents an hour in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I lost that job because of the senior guy uh, had booze and we started drinking and we we're on the third floor. And uh, I said, what are we going to do with this heavy furniture? He said, well, we'll just throw it out the window. <laughs> so we threw it out the window and it seemed like 20 seconds later the owner was there and the owner of the company was there and uh, I was fired immediately because what we thought was junk the mother and the owner thought it was antique <laughs> and uh, the guy that owned the company was very excited about us being there <laughs> and I was fired on the spot on my 90 cent an hour job and uh he he was allowed to come back. Now, I don't know really what I did after that for a while. I just had a bunch of know-nothing jobs where I sold women's clothing, and I liked that because I liked the women, and I was pretty good at selling, I found out. And Is this like a retail environment? Retail stores. I worked at a lot of them. As a matter of fact, my sponsor had to go back. Uh, to those stores to find out if they owed me any money because I never, ever collected any money longer than a week. And uh, he got a lot of money back. Uh, <laughs> but I was getting better and better, and my uncle thought that I was well enough that maybe I could be a fireman, and he knew the fire chief at the Scarborough Department, and so he introduced me to him, and the guy said, sure, we'll take him. And my interview went something like this. He said, how tall are you? And I said, six foot three. And he said, how tall are you? And I said, six foot three. And then it registered on me that my uncle said six foot two, and I became six foot two and got the job. So what's the difference between six foot two and six foot three? Do they care? They, yeah, they did. That uniforms only went to six foot two. And, oh, that's, okay, what, gotcha. and that's they were worried because we were breaking down doors and things like that and going in and six two seemed to be the answer for the job. I don't know what it is today, but back then it was six foot two. So what was, how long were you a firefighter? I was a fireman for about four years. Uh, we worked three days on and four days off. And I had little part-time jobs, or I was busy. I was married, and I wasn't doing too well at home. And so I had a full-time job on my days off chasing women and getting <laughs> into trouble. And I did get into trouble, and uh, uh, I had the two boys. And, and this I, was during sobriety, right? Oh, no, yes. This is sobriety. I'm really, I'm really a strong member of Alcoholics Anonymous. 
I uh, forgot all about Alcoholics Anonymous when a woman was involved. Yeah, so the the chasing woman thing has come up several times here. So that seemed to be like a good uh, a pastime for you, it sounds like. It was excellent. <laughs> okay. Thank God I'm 82. It doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> but back in those days, I thought I was wonderful. And so... I got a lot of trouble. My wife had enough, so I got divorced. And then I, uh, she got very sick, and uh, we had a son, and our first son died. I didn't mention that. And uh, we went to bury him, and uh, my wife fell almost into the casket. And I didn't know that many people, but when we went to the funeral, there was over 500 members of Alcoholics Anonymous who didn't know me that were there to support me. And my wife went into the insane asylum that I was in, and she was there for six months. And my mother-in-law took our children, and we didn't get them back until they were 14 and 15. By that time, I was well out of the household. And then it took me a long time to get back into it with my wife and my children. And we never got back together, and I got married. And we'll make that real short about my life. I've been married five times. Uh, through Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, none of them were members of AA. Uh, but the last one was really a phenomenal young lady, and uh, I just screwed the whole thing up. And I, my fifth wife, we've been married now for 20 years, she was given to me by God. And uh, How'd you meet her? I met her in a bar. Okay. Yeah, because that's where I went to in Dallas. They had five dances going on all weekend. I loved to dance. My mother taught me how to dance when I was four. And so I look real good on the dance floor, I think. But anyway, a lot of women would talk to me, and one of her friends come over and said, Bob, dance with this girl. She's a good dancer. And I went over and asked her, and I guess God was on her site. She said, no, thank you. And so I went to the next dance the next night, and she came over and apologized and said, I had a headache. I was in a lot of smoke, and I am sorry I didn't dance, but if you want to dance, uh, I'd love to dance with you. And we've been dancing for 20 years. Oh. What kind of dancing did you like to do? Oh, I did everything. Swing, waltz. I love the I love the slow dancing, of course, but I could do it all. Like I said, it's not, my t- mother taught me at 4. The numbers don't change. It's just music and it's pretty easy and I'm tall and of course I thought I was good looking. I mean, I felt I loved myself so much I wanted to die on my own arm. <laughs> and I said that at an international conference in Atlanta and on the third row I heard a guy yell, "We can arrange it." So I took that out of my talk. Um, <laughs> but it's been a fun ride. <laughs> good. Okay, so 56 years, right? It, like I said, it's kind of hard to cover it all, but uh, talk to me a little bit about the 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 steps and sponsors and sponsees and such that you've had throughout the years. I've had one sponsor. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, talk to me about your sponsees. My sponsees are, of course, you know, the members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, I, I don't volunteer to hold my hand up. I don't do that. I don't believe that. I believe for me that I have a God, and God's Spirit will tell me who I should share with, because if they don't have the same spirit I have, I cannot help anybody. I've learned that over the years by virtue of not being able to help these people. And so I don't volunteer. And a lot of them just come across the room and say, will you sponsor me? And I know when I can and when I can't. And if I can, I say, yes, I will. And if 
no, I just say, I'm not really doing it right now. I have too many. And I have a lot of sponsees, and some of them have gone. But uh, we know that that's a journey, and everybody has an independent journey because my journey is such that I was told that I had to do the steps when I had to do the steps. And today, of course, we change. We tell everybody they got to do the steps. We got to do this. We got to do that. But it does not say that anywhere in the book. It doesn't say that men sponsor men or women sponsor women. It says it's a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other. And our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. We do not dictate to them. I never dictate to them. I will never dictate to them. They're allowed all the pain that they can handle. And that I always found is spiritual growth. And I just got a word the other day that I've had my third person with 51 years. A woman called me from Montreal and she said, Bob, I just want to let you know I love you and I've just got 51 years. I have other sponsors, but they're not my sponsors. You've always been my sponsor. <sighs> and uh, she went through to tell me what happened to her in 51 years. And she was a waitress, married a guy that was going to school. He graduated. He had a company. Now it has over 500 people, and they're worth about $45 million. So AA works <laughs> if you show up and do the deal. Yeah, but... Results may vary for different individuals, Absolutely, right? <laughs> absolutely. I lost $3 million in AA. Oh, you did? So yes. talk to me a little bit about your business life. Well, I, was in, I got into sales through AA. I never was really good at it, but I, went, I got it into AA and in Canada and found out that I could do it, and I was a pretty good salesperson, and I was working for an American company, and they, uh, I lived in Toronto, and they were having trouble in Rochester, New York, and they asked if I could go over and help them out there. And I went there about uh, two days a week, and this guy was making about $360,000 a year in his territory. And uh, my first year working part-time, I did $750,000. And now it wasn't because of him or it wasn't because of me. He just used the telephone because $360,000 divided by 12 was a good living back in those days. I made a mistake and called on the customers and got all kinds of orders. And so I got promoted, and I got promoted. So within seven years, I ended up from the salesman, regional, district manager, sales manager, VP of sales, and executive vice president. And I was the only member of the, the team that had shares in the company outside of the family. And it was a gift company and an apparel company. Wow. So speaking of apparel, this is kind of more of a side note. People in this area know you because, well, not only because of your, you know, how well you share in meetings and your length of sobriety, but they also know you because of your your dress, right? And how you clothe yourself. And I mean that in a complimentary way, right? Like today I'm looking at you, you have some socks on that I don't even know how to describe them. They're they're not your average socks, and you have a, a paisley multicolored shirt on. So where did you come up with this style? How did it develop? Well, that's interesting because in Toronto all my life, there was only two colors, black and brown. And we went to Windsor and across Windsor was Detroit. And in Detroit, my dad took me to some stores and I saw purple shirts and pink shirts and 
purple jackets. And I said, Dad, I want those. I want those. And he said, well, I'll buy you a couple. And that started me back then. So I was probably 15 years old. And uh, if you know downtown Detroit or you know Detroit, they have great athletes. And all the athletes used to go to these stores. And they were all multicolored stores. And so I started with purple jackets and pink pants and <laughs> weird socks and weird <laughs> shoes and nobody else in Windsor had them and they'd all look at me when I got on the bus and they didn't they thought I was an albino actually an <laughs> albino yeah which means light colored black person oh okay got you <laughs> you know and uh so then I got into the jewelry as well. And uh, when I was flying, I flew everywhere. I, I permanent platinum on American Airlines. So in the early days, you wore your suits open and your jacket and you had all the gold. And a lot of the flight attendants would say, here comes the white Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> I jewelry I couldn't even hold my head up. But I was in the apparel business and the gift business and it's an exciting business and it's a colorful business and you're a colorful guy well i got to know a lot of customers this way and they loved me that way and you know i wore a black suit once and people didn't even recognize right. me so i mean i'm kidding but yeah. <laughs> i still wear the colors i've been wearing them now since i was 15 years old and like i say i'm 82 and now i notice that i used to wear all the wild colored socks now i notice everybody's wearing wild colored right. socks so I don't know what to do next. You're ahead of the trend. <laughs> yes. And I enjoy it. I have fun. It means absolutely nothing to me. It's just what I like. It makes me feel good. And it gives everybody else a laugh. Good. <laughs> so, Bob, we're going to wrap it up here. I just want you to, I guess, kind of sum up, oh, best you can, what AA has done for you, Um how you feel about the program, uh, what you want to leave. It's, there's a lot of people listening to this who are, number one, just so curious. They're not even in the program yet. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who are brand new in the program who listen to this to try to help them keep going down the right path, which I absolutely love. You're sitting here with a lot of sobriety. If you had to leave some parting shots with them, how would you speak to those people out there? That's very interesting. Um, you know, this is a journey of days, and I believe it's a journey of days. Now, just to let you know, I have 56 years in the program. I still go to five meetings a week, and I go there just to restore my faith and energy and listen to the people and where they are. And today, AA is totally different. When I came in, it was principles before personalities, and now it's more personalities than principles. And uh, we don't talk about our recovery as much as they used to. Back when I came in, they always were asking us, because they started us on the steps, they would judge us by what step they thought I was on. And so, therefore, we were into the steps every day because they were all speaker meetings back in those days, and they talked about the 12 steps every night. And then we had meetings back in the homes as well after the meetings, and they talked about fellowship. So we were getting steps and fellowship. And the fellowship drove us to the steps because eventually— I wanted what they had, and I was willing to go to any length to get it. And it took a long time, but once I did, I found out that the principle is God and the 12 steps. 
and I don't need the personality anymore. But I do need the steps on a daily basis because it's only one day at a time. And uh, I travel uh, one Thursday a week with two other people that have long-term sobriety because that's what we did in the old days. And we go to different meetings and we talk about the steps and people realize who we are and what we are now and we get asked to speak an awful lot but i speak about the steps because that's the life-giving one but more importantly my sponsor said there is a god bob and it's not you and when i finally realized that i believe this god is either everything or he's nothing at all which is page 53 and I believe 28 to start with, not many people know that page, but it says no matter what our race, color, and creed is, we're all children of a living creator. So that tells me right off the bat that it's God. And then you go to 30, which a lot of people don't know, and it says we concede to our innermost self that we're alcoholic, and that's the first step. 53 is God is either everything or he's nothing at all. 133 says, when asked, God wants you to be happy, joyous, and free. What's your choice to be? So I do that through the steps, through the fellowship, and I surround myself with people of like mind that are trying just to be a better person every day. I don't force anybody to grow. That comes to them. But it's all for me about God. Perfect. I love that. Uh, and by the way, those two other gentlemen you travel with are Fred and who else? Jim. Oh, yeah, Jim V. And Jim yes. just celebrated 40 years. How long has Fred been sober? He's been sober now 38 years. Yeah, so you guys kind of travel around as a trio and go mm-hmm. to various groups and just kind of drop in on them and yeah. uh, share. And here's what they say. Oh, it's the three wise men. <laughs> <laughs> or the f- three stooges, depending <laughs> how they feel at that particular time. But in humility, they all love it when we come there because there's a lot of sobriety walks into the room. And we're not getting that today. That's right. Oh, I love it. Um, thank you so much, Bob. I know we've been trying to get together for a while to get you in here and get you recorded. And I want to do it, quite honestly, for... For you, and I mean that in a loving way, uh, like, like for example, George, who you know, George C., right? Mm-hmm. George Clark, he, he passed on, and mm-hmm. I had been working on getting him to kind of come over here and get his recording, and then he passed, and I was like, oh, I should have been a little bit more assertive about it to get him over here to record that so people would have something to go back and listen to, and I'm so glad that you came over here to, to record this with me, because I respect the hell out of you, Mr. Bob C., <laughs> Well, I thank you because you were very persistent. I've dodged you for a lot of years. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I guess God put it on my heart to be, this is the day that I need to be here and share with you and yours. And I thank you very much for being persistent because I'm glad that I was able to help a little. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you will help a lot. Uh, like I said, in all four corners of the world, we're going to get many people listening to your story, and I'm so happy about that. All right. God bless you, Bob. Oh, you know what? I do have to do this right before we close, and that is I have to read from—don't have to, but this is just what I do—page 164 of the big book. 
It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Bob C., thank you again for stopping by. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Mr. Bob C. Now, it is on to a little bit of listener feedback for you. All right, first couple of things I have here. I don't know if this is actually listener feedback, so to speak, but I pulled it out of our secret Facebook group. Gary K., yes, that's the same Gary K. that you have listened to on this podcast before. He uh, post in our secret Facebook quite frequently. And he put a couple of things in here this last week that caught my attention. First things, or the first thing that I saw is he posted a quote from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he said, we or the big book says, we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning A much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. Big book, page 19. So let me read that again. I just love it. We feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. A much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. Big book, page 19. Oh, couldn't agree more, man. That hits home sometimes, too. All right. um, No pun intended. And here's another thing that Gary posted in there this past week, and it says, uh, (laughs) this is a quote uh, from somebody else, and it says, misery is almost always the result of thinking. Misery is almost always the result of thinking. And that is a quote from Mr. Joseph. I'm assuming you pronounce this Joubert. Is it J-O-B-E-R-T? That sounds a little French to me. I believe that is a French name. Uh, but anyway, uh, Joseph Joubert, or Joubert, or, or as we'd say here in Texas, Jobert. I appreciate you uh, putting that out there. And thank you, Mr. Gary Kay, for posting that in our secret Facebook group. All right. Brandon writes in, and Brandon says the title of his uh, email is New Listener Love the Podcast. And he says, hello, John. I listened to my first podcast today. I love it. I've been drinking every day for the past 11 years, and I finally want to take the first steps to to a sober path. Listening to your podcast today while I was sitting in traffic made my eyes open. Oh man, that's good to hear, Brandon. I will continue to listen to these amazing stories of recovery. I would love to become a member of the Secret Facebook page. Thank you so much for your podcast. Well, we got that invite out to you, Brandon, and you are most certainly welcome to be part of it. Kelly wrote in, oh, and this is Kelly from uh, a San Diego area, and I I actually, oh, this is so neat, I got to meet her. We were both up at 
Crested Butte, Colorado, this summer for a conference. Some of you have heard me talk about this in the past. And Kelly and her boyfriend and her cute little son were all there in attendance. And I got to meet them all. It was so great to put a face to a name. And uh, it was just absolutely out of this world. But anyway, she wrote in and she said, hi, John, hope you're doing well. I've been working on the BBA program now with a couple of ladies since last month. Now, let me go to and explain to you what BBA is. BBA, we had a uh, another uh, uh, speaker on the podcast before. Her name was Billy K, B-I-L-L-I-E-K-A-I. And if you want to go back and look up her episode, you can. And she spoke about um, a, a methodology for working the big steps, excuse me, the big steps, the, the steps, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous in the big book. And BBA works is just a, uh, like I said, it's, it's just, a, it's a method. It's one way that you can go through the big book. And anyway, she says she's working on that now. And she said, there is a passage in the big book we don't understand, the people in our group. So I was wondering what your insight is about it since we are in disagreement. It's on page 13, paragraph four. And this is in the big book, just in case I needed to repeat, I guess, uh, I guess I didn't need to repeat that, but just in case you weren't sure is what I meant to say. Anyway, the, the quote is, I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within common sense would thus become uncommon sense. And what's, what's uh, capitalized here is common sense would thus become uncommon sense. She says, any idea what Bill means? Question marks. Thanks, Kelly. Well, so I gave her my feedback. And if any of you all have some feedback and you want to pile on, you can. Uh, I'm at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. But it, uh, uh, it is something that I've heard discussed in meetings, and I think it's a fantastic uh, a topic, if you will. And then I also posted her question in our secret Facebook group, and she had tons of people that commented on it, and it was just great. So, you know, that's a big part of what we do here, right? We're a community. This is a we program. Just because I see it in one way doesn't mean that that's right, so to speak. Everybody has their different take on it, and it's all uh, uh, contextual. And so anyway, if you want to uh, uh, pile in on that, just send me an email, and I'll be glad to read it on air or actually give it to Miss Kelly. Matt writes in, Matt says, Hey, John, I live in Nashville and I've been sober for about a month. I think that's a, a month is a Mesa. Is that right? No, Mesa is table. Oh, gosh, darn it. I shouldn't try to do this on the fly. Uh, the Spanish word for month is, gosh, is it Mesa? Nonetheless, I'm new to this. So I found your podcast while looking for ways to learn more and hear from others while not attending meetings. I've gotten something I've gotten something out of just about all the speakers I've listened to, but 
Gary Kay, the guy that I was uh, talking about earlier, who is in the secret Facebook group, is a true gem, and I would love to meet him. Appreciate all you're doing, and I've shared some episodes with my sponsor. Take care and keep um coming, Matt. Big smiley face. Well, you got a deal, Matt. Um, I, I, I tell you what, one week at a time. I will week. I will keep them coming. I don't have any plans on stopping anytime soon, but. Uh, Gary Kay, for all of you interested out there, is scheduled to come back in here and record with me in, I believe, like three weeks or so, and it takes me a while to get him published after that, three or four weeks, something like that. But we are going to have him back on uh, and recording more episodes. Mary writes in and she says, hello, John, my name is Mary. And it's uh, not your traditional M-A-R-Y. It is a M-E-R-R-Y, like Merry Christmas. She says, I am originally from New Jersey. She doesn't say it that way in writing. I just kind of, you know, put the accent on there. Then anyway, she says, then have been living in central Pennsylvania for the past 12 years. I decided to start attending AA meetings in the fall of 2014. I came to the point I knew I had a problem, but didn't know what to do about it. So at first I was able to make a bunch of meetings and make nine months. Well, of course I rewarded myself with a drink, stupid idea. So I got my 24 hour coin, finally decided to ask the scary question of how do you get a sponsor? Laugh out loud. Well, that was easy. Got down to working the steps. I kept attending at least two meetings a week, if not more. And it's tricky because I don't drive due to epilepsy. Oh. I had my driver's license revoked in 1989. So living out in the country, I have to plan to get around. It's been a long road. I've collected five three-month coins, two six-month coins, and a pile of one-month coins, and a bunch of 24-hour coins. Well, you know what? I can relate because I did the same exact thing for three years. Nonetheless, she said, I would get to a point where I thought I was doing well, then something would happen and I would just give in. I wouldn't put up much of a fight. I did keep a journal about my issues and behaviors before and after. I never stopped going to meetings, drunk or not. I just kept coming back. Well, good for you. I figured eventually I would get it. At some point, I was really thinking there is something wrong with me. I have now been sober since September 11th. I have reached a point to where I'm tired of being sick and tired. I had to have it out with my boyfriend, though. He kept alcohol in the house locked in a closet since 2015. When that closet was left open by mistake, oh, I know where you're going with this one, I would sneak in. (laughs) Then I'd have to replace it before it was missed. Yep. (laughs) I can see that. Then it went on for years. I even stole the key and unlocked it. Then I got sneaky. I bought a lockpick set off of... <laughs> I bought a lockpick pick set off of Amazon. Amazon. I figured I'd learn a new hobby. Yeah, okay. All I can say is an alcoholic will always find a way. Yes, I get it. I have reached a point... 
um, where I had to ask him to get it out. I offered to pay him for it. He refused and said, I'd just buy more. I can understand his view, yet I am adamant about how he feels, and I have now reached a desperate point. So fortunately, I could know... I, I could not let it go on any longer. I proceeded to drink as much as I possibly could to say the least I knew I could drink at all. I made my point to him. He did agree to dump the rest out. No more alcohol allowed in my home. He doesn't want the money either. He just asked that I don't buy any more. Then I don't have to pay him back. I was to the point I would pay double what it was worth to get rid of it. Since that day, I have felt so free. I cannot say that was my downfall all along. I just know deep down, uh, I just know deep down that I have grown. I can see the issues that could possibly be a problem. I have plenty of tools. I just thank God for the guidance that I've been given. I happened upon Sober Speak on Spotify, and I learned, uh, I listened to other speakers on odontology. Your podcast was brought up in the list, and I figured I'd check it out. I really love all the speakers I've listened to. It started, I started in the 80 range episode 80 she's talking about uh we have like 110 or, or 105 or whatever episodes and she started in the 80s so i decided since i've been listening so much i went all the way back to the first day well you got some catching up to do all right uh, you have all been a great addition to my road of recovery i don't have to live unhappy anymore that's right you do not mary Silly to think that I thought alcohol helped. It stopped being fun a long time ago. God bless you and the rest of your team at Sober Speak. And you know, we do have a team. We have Cassandra. We have Bridget. We have my wife. Uh, even Miss Sarah helps me out sometimes. We have so many people who help out with this, and I'm so grateful for them. She, anyway, she says, you help so many people that you will never know. I'm proud to be able to share the podcast and be in the Facebook page with people in the program. Much love, your friend Mary. Well, much love back out to you, Miss Mary. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will do it for this week. One week at a time. I'll be back next week, I'm thinking. Um, anyway, uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with me again this week. Adios.